0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Nocturnal Distractions. This is Kendra and this is April. Oh, this is... Those 12 seconds of silence that we have to do at the beginning are hard. They really are. Like, there's crickets and the TV is on. I just realized the TV was still so on because I didn't have this like ruddy nose, right? And I could feel like I needed this little wet booger was with me. I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And like, oh God, do I want to laugh. And then it goes to make me how she does at me when I do that. Right. So there was that. But here we are. But really, try to be quiet for 12 seconds straight when you're with somebody else. It's right. hard because i human beings in general. We don't like silence. But when you know you have to be quiet, right? And you're trying not to look at each other because you feel Right? And those little things like Chippy Booger nose and the me being on upstairs because I just turned the fan off and I didn't even realize the TV was such a So, so hello, everybody. Obviously, <laughs> it's late at night because we are nocturnal distractions. Oh, it's currently <laughs> 3.03 in the morning. It's the witching hour. Oh, the witching. <laughs> oh, the that's a perfect time recorder. Nothing could possibly go wrong here. Nothing at all. I'm terrified suddenly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're going to record the whole way through. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> Listen, you're the strong one here. I'm the one. And when you don't are confident, then it's all oh, I'm right. I am confident in myself. I'm just not confident in technology. <gasps> oh, Thanks. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I get. It. I know about no, technology, dude. I'm just gonna leave Thank it at here. Technology, yeah, technology has has some kind of strain. It really does. Um, so this is uh part two, and I'm super excited about it. Mm-hmm. Of the oh, my. this is part two of episode three: the murder of Anna Kriegel. So if you haven't listened to part one, you might wanna go listen to that verse. Just get some background on Anna and it's someone right now. And it's been different stuff as far as that goes. Right. And it's in this series that I'm doing of oh, the different gradations of evil. So yeah, go back to part one. Get your fill in of of back information there because we're gonna go right into part two, which is um uh, the rest of the case. <laughs> it's not three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> no. This is like the middle of the day for me. What are you talking about? After <laughs> <Right. laughs> I love you. Um, so anyway, this this is the second part of the case of Anna Kriegel, and this is level three of the gradations of evil scale, which is willing companions of killers and pulse in Polsonford and have some antisocial traits. Yes. Um, that is not well, no, if you keep pulling on it. Sorry, talking about power cord. That power. Sorry, I have to distract the entire show just to turn my phone on. I'm just going to turn it off. Here we go. There we are. Oh, okay. ta-da. There we go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we, are, we are on um, the morning of Monday, May 14th, 2018. So this is the morning of the day that Anna eventually goes missing. Um, so she's having breakfast, you know, normal day. She reminds her mother that she needs a note to get out of school that day at 2.30 p.m. because she had a counseling appointment with Kildar Youth Services, which she had been attending once a week after uh, some uh, talk of uh, suicidal ideations at the school. Right. Um, speaking of which, I'm going to do a trigger warning now. this. The rest of this case... You're gonna hear about obviously murder. Um, there is gonna be some sexual assault, although it's not gonna be super super graphic. It's children. So there's that. Right. I think that covered the big trigger warnings. So if that's not something that hockey, not talking, hearing about or triggers you in any way, go ahead and skip this. Catch us on the next one. Right. And so like up until this point, her life is sucked. From my point of view, like it's just been yes. really hard. <laughs> hard. She's had yeah. hard life, not because of her family, but because of just other kids, right? And the bullying situation, and there was all these warning signs that nobody probably pieced together. And Now, they did to a certain extent because they did have her in therapy. They did. They were trying to get her help that she needed. And, the, but, and a teacher did say, "Hey, you know," but nobody her. took it too serious. Like yeah. to I the thing were to. Um, I think they were as much as they could. I mean. And Kids, when you have, like, a 14-year-old, like, it's just, right, it's hard. And, I mean, nobody would is, think their kid yeah. is capable of bullying. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks, oh, they'll grow out of it. They'll get bigger. Um, mm-hmm. That was enough. So they'll friends. Stop being so Anti- awkward. or Socially awkward, that type of thing. And if you go to our Instagram and look at pictures of this girl, like, she was beautiful. Yeah, she was gorgeous. absolute gorgeous. Like, a one-way model, honestly. And she didn't allow her impediments to, like, stop her from no. doing things. You would have thought she was a normal girl. Yeah. And all she wanted to do was make friends, but she just, she was socially awkward just because of different, like, she was way taller, she was adopted, all those various factors that other kids pick up on and Which are as well, Yeah. You know, so that's why she is in these counseling point. Like, now. With their youth services, and I had one at two thirty that day. Yep. So she had to get a note. So she had she went to school that day, and it was a usual day. She went for a counseling session. She came home. She had a snack. Went into her room. Normal day. And um, she also tried to call her mom after her appointment because they uh, called and texted each other throughout the day every day. So that's a normal thing too. So she was very in contact with her parents. To her close family. Mm-hmm. Um, her father, Patrick, was outside at this time. You know, it was May. The weather's warming up. So we just kind of hanging around outside. And at about four forty four, 4. fifty five p.m., the doorbell rang. And at the door was Boy B. Now, if you listen to part one, I'm going to just remind you that the two... I can't even say suspects because they were convicted. The two boys in this case, since they are underage, their names are protected by law in Ireland forever, like to never be released. Not even after they turn 18. Okay. So they're referred to in everything as boy A and boy So right now, this is boy B at the door. Oh, okay. In my my notes, I go look at that in my next (laughs) time. (laughs) I love you. I wrote these notes up a long time ago, so I had to, like, reread them myself. So, boy, B had asked for Anna. Um, Her father had told her who was at the door, and she really did seem confused because she did know who he was because they were classmates, but they weren't friends. Really? But nonetheless, I mean, as any teen girl would, there's a boy, you know, George, I might go down and talk to them right and you're excited about oh, how to spray right? yes especially since she doesn't have very many friends this is a boy right? right it's one of those things so um patrick said he saw anna standing in the doorway and whispering to the boy he didn't really think anything of it because it right right you know kind of whisper and teens do it and her dad was probably like yes well, yeah we you know hopefully somebody sorry baby, this is fantastic you know Um, She then ran back upstairs to get her her hoodie that she needed to put on. And she told her father that she was going to be going out and she wouldn't be long. Um, And her dad said, quote, I believe she meant it. I knew from the way she was saying it that she meant exactly that as far as, like, not being gone long. Um, Seconds after she left, though, Patrick realized he hadn't actually asked where she was going but um, he went to the door and saw them walking towards uh, St. Catherine's Park, is what it's called, which wasn't very far away. Uh, quote, she was happy when she left. She gave me a big smile. So nothing seems unusual, right? Uh, Geraldine, her mom, at about five ten p.m. was t- finally able to return Anna's call, but it went straight to voicemail. Um, after arriving home, she found her husband in the back garden. He told her Anna had gone out with Boyd B., And her mother says she immediately became concerned because he had nothing to do with her. And, unfortunately, nobody ever came to the door for Anna. Right. And that's just, it's a sad fact, but it's a fact. So she's automatically, her flags are like mother fat. Her motherly flags are like, warning, warning, like something's off. Something is not feeling right here. And so shortly after 5.30 p.m., she texted her daughter a two-word message that just said, home now. And I know I have sent my daughter messages. Right. right. There was absolutely no response. And she talked it over with her husband before sending another message a few minutes later saying, answer me now or I'm calling the police. Again, no answer. So really unusual. They gave it until like after dinner, and then she went out looking for her in her car driving around the local neighborhood. Uh, She got back home, and Geraldine and Patrick went on Facebook to find out, to try to find out Boy B's surname or last name, as we call it here in the United States. So they knew his first name. They were trying to find out his last name because they knew of him, but they had no idea where he lived or who his parents were. Um, her mom rang around to different people trying to find out his address, but couldn't. And at that point, um, they went to in the house of John Cribbin, who was a friend who was a retired police detective. And he told them to go straight to the Garda, which is the name for the police force in Ireland. At that point, Anna had been gone for four hours, which really, I mean, missing persons cases, four hours... Is not a short period of time, but it's not an extremely long period of time for them to take it serious. Okay, that type of a thing. I mean, obviously, a time with missing persons is very, very. very what do I say? Um, vital. Yes, because I think it's like the chances of them being found after a day or in half each. It's like. Half. Or it might give her 12 hours. All right. And okay. usually with teens, they're like, oh, they'll show up. Mm. But with them, the parents know, like, mm. the situation is not. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. they went to the Gardie, so it was, it, you'll hear me say Garda and Gardie were just kind of both used in the same for police for me. Yeah. They did take her seriously, but there was no reason to be immediately concerned because there wasn't any real evidence immediately concerned. Um Every um every week the, the Garda received dozens of reports of missing children or teens, and the vast majority turned up within a few hours. Out with friends, they phone died. Whatever. But they did take it seriously. So the first job job for the Guardi was to visit the house of Boy E after locating his address on their pulse computer system. I don't know what that is, but I'm assuming it's obviously some kind of address system that even like we have out here like yeah yeah I, I guess I'm just surprised we're able to plug in his first name that's why I think it's a small community but in general I have learned that other countries have more surveillance in general than we do sometimes right, right? and information Nothing that, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because a lot of crimes have been solved because of that they probably plug in name this is a school this is the grade and, it? It, and then just narrow it down so uh garda connor muldoon went to the house that evening of boyby boyby told him that he had went to anna's house that day and uh, they had walked to the park for a bit but that he had left her at about 5 40 p.m and this was just the first of thousands of lies that he would tell investigators the next day so tuesday Um, Sergeant John Dunn was given the task of returning to Boy B's house to question him further. This time, Boy B told the Garda he had called for Anna or gone to her house um, the previous day on behalf of his friend, Boy A. Information he had uh, conveniently left out the day before. Hmm. It turned out that Anna actually had a crush on Boy A, but he wasn't interested and he wanted to meet up with her to tell her which is what boy b is saying he said he brought anna to the park where they both met up with boy a at which point boy b left and returned to his house to do homework and left her with boy a mm-hmm. after this questioning of boy b as sergeant dunn was walking back to i don't know to his car or to the station I didn't really say He was stopped by a man and his son. The man had heard about Anna going missing and suggested the Garda check the back of the local sewage treatment plant as teenagers tended to hang around there. It was only later that day that Dunn realized this man was Boy A's father, and the teen with him was Boy A. Oh my god. So on Tuesday afternoon, so this is around 24 hours after Boy B first showed up at Anna's house, the decision was made to take Boy B to the park, this time with Boy A, Sergeants Dunn and Sergeant see? Hussy? Uh, see? Hussy? I wasn't quite sure on the pronunciation of this one. So sorry if I totally butchered that. Dennis tried to help me as much as he could. <laughs> uh, the boys came to a stop on a passenger, like a BMX bike track, and Dunn and see. both saw them kind of exchange uh, w- w- weird grams. And it was kind of their first indication that the boys weren't telling truth about stuff. Right. Um, after the park visit didn't really reveal any more information, both boys were taken to the Lucan Garda station with their parents. So this particular police station, Lucan is the name of it. So they went with their parents. Boy A then gave a detailed statement about how he had spent that afternoon that Anna went missing. He said Boy A, or sorry, he said Boy E, was one of his best friends and had stopped at his house after school. Boy A said he was doing chores, and so they arranged to meet in the park. When Boy B arrived, he was with Anna, a girl that Boy A said he knew from school, but not that well. He told Gardie... Quote, at one stage, Anna said to me, I have something to ask you. I was wondering if you wanted to go out with me. I was surprised. It came out of nowhere. I kind of knew she liked me because she'd kind of asked me out before. And he said that he wanted to tell her gently that he didn't want to go out with her. I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not interested. She didn't answer. She said nothing. She walked off. She looked annoyed and sad at the same time. So that's ways. Side of that story. By this time, Boy B had also left, Boy A said. This is where things get a little bit even stranger. Yeah, this is where Boy A just decided to go out and west a little bit. <laughs> um... He said on his walk back home, Boy A's walk back home, he was attacked by two males. One grabbed him by the shoulder and pulled him to the ground. Then both started kicking him, he claimed. Now, the guardee were uh, a little skeptical of this story. The boy did have in- injuries consistent with an assault. His arm and leg were injured, and his face was cut. But his account of how he acquired these didn't right. feel right. Right. In particular, In particular, his description of defeating his attacker with a kick to the head. Which sounded more like teenage fantasy than reality. So that was like, right. really, you took out two men. Uh, okay, right, right. High five! Not good job with coming up with terrible wise. I how your injuries these, came to be, right? When they really probably came from her. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh my. I mean, like honestly, if you're gonna do something terrible, get better terrible. Like, say he fell down on a bike or something. Right. I mean, I really listen to one like I, he is here, but like come on now. Come on. But he is 13. Keep in mind, both these boys are 13. So, the following day, so now Wednesday, three days, Um, she went missing on Monday. So, almost. We're yeah. uh, on the third day. Um, The search was kicked up a year because it was nearing actually the 48-hour mark now. So there were now serious concerns that Anna may have been harmed or even killed. Unfortunately, the lowest concerns would become reality. Which leads us to Thursday, May 17, 2018. There was an abandoned farmhouse and it was called Glenwood House and it was built around the 1800s. Um, It sat on over... About 100 acres, and it was on the edge of this park, St. Catherine's Park. Which her dad could see. Yep. Well, the park was near where they lived, but I got to look up how big this park is. I mean, I'm assuming it's a fairly large park. Yeah, but it's to where... Yeah, going can be able to see all the way across the, like, oh, central... Well, maybe. yeah. But park that he sees yes. his daughter it's going It's to... on the edge of that. Yep. Um... And this, uh, it was located on Lucan Colony Road in an area known locally as Cold low. Ireland, that little. Okay. So, but this one, um no, oh, I just. <laughs> Timeouts. That's all right. It's just so close to, well, I know there's acres and yeah. acres, yeah. but I mean, it, Yes, in the same town. But this once, so this that farmhouse at one time was this really beautiful farmhouse, right? But by this time, it is in ruins. I mean, it was abandoned. It was. It's probably yeah, went there. Four bottles and cans littered up the floor, the result of the house's popularity with local teenagers looking to avoid the prying the eyes of parents and the guardy. Uh, the roof had collapsed in several places, and several rooms had even been gutted by fire. Oh, no, uh, just in general. On the morning of Thursday, Sergeant Declan Burkall and his specially trained four-person search team were deployed to an area of Lucan that included that part of St. Ath- Catherine's Park and Glenwood House. Um, so it stood on the end of a field, basically, and Burkall... Like most of the local guardy was familiar with the building, having responded to reports over the years. I mean, it obviously. He searched the outbuildings while his colleague, Garda Sean White, went into the main house through the rear porch. At the end of one of the corridors at the front of the house, White looked into what would later be designated as room one. It was dark inside because the windows were boarded up and the only light came from like a hole that was over through the planks of the windows um in the gloom white thought he could make out a figure on the floor but it was dark um he could definitely smell dry blood the garda would later tell a colleague he believed he was looking at either a mannequin or something terrible in mind snap no it's never a man i need a t-shirt it's never a man yeah. <laughs> If you mm-hmm. think it's a mannequin, especially around Halloween, it's never a mannequin. Go back and listen to our episode about that like uh, so last year. <laughs> um, so he called out to this figure in case it was actually a person, but no response was given. So in line with his training, he stepped into the room to confirm what he thought he had seen, and then left the called first. Uh, Burke call as the search team leader entered room one to confirm what White believed he had seen. Inside, unfortunately, was Anna Kriegel's body. She was naked, except for her black um, At first, Burkall believed something was covering Anna's face, but um, when he leaned closer, it was, it was just her hair, which was kind of stuck, on her, stuck to her face as if she had been kind of thrashing around. I know, this, 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 this part is, it, bear with, me. we're gonna get through this part, but, yeah. Um, her clothing and pieces of her iPhone were scattered around the womb. Nearby was a cement block and a large stick, both of which were blood-stained. There was also blood-staining the walls and the carpeted floor. Um, it had clearly come from many wounds on Cremati. A long length of peskin insulation tape? which is comparable to here in the United States, to Flex Seal Tape, was uh, partially wrapped around her neck. She had three fingers inside the tape as if she were trying to get it off. Um, Every inch of room one would be examined and cataloged, along with every beer can, cigarette butt, and piece of debris contained. So they are doing the most as far as collecting the evidence. The most pressing Task was the pathology exams, but I'll talk. Um, again, we're gonna get through this part and it's a tough case, guys. We're just gonna leave it at that. Um, the pathologist's name was um, Professor Mary Cassidy. Uh found that she had a staggering number of injuries. During the trial, she would say that and during the trial, she would spend about 40 minutes listing about 50 different. That were post-mortem, right? Like, while well, they were, like, she was tortured, basically. I, like, she suffered a lot of fucking pain. I, it didn't really say, and sometimes it's hard to tell with that many wounds, whether it was. Okay. But there were bruises and lacer- lacerations all over the body, most serious to Hannah. Anna's head, face, and neck. She also con- she concluded that Anna had died from blunt force trauma to the head and neck. There were also signs of compression to her neck, but there was no evidence that the tape had at all. So oh, like strangulation or how you were holding. Yeah, or something, but the actual cause of death would have been blunt force trauma to the head and neck. There's another trigger warning for Sexual assault of some sort, because they're not entirely sure what made um other injuries suggested that there had been penetration or attempted penetration with something, but they couldn't tell what they weren't sure what that's the problem they, they she was unable to determine if Anna had been conscious at that time All right so the young boys with not a lot of straight. And so, of course, it had to be... So it was gruesome. They were trying to do something yeah. that yeah. they couldn't because of their strength. So and they earned them with, with this level. It is very impulsive. And, and so it was not going to be something they necessarily planned. It was opportunity have been That type of thing. Um, they did something. They're like, oh, shit, we got to finish it. How do we? She's going to tell somebody, like... <laughs> They probably wanted it quick and easy, but no. Strength. Well, they probably didn't figure she would put up a fight either because she was socially awkward and bullied. They probably just figured that he will just be quiet. I don't know. Um, based on though the forensic evidence, the guard has suspected Anna had been beaten to the ground with a heavy stick shortly after entering the room. Uh, then hit four times with heavy objects such as the concrete block. Uh, she was pulled towards the window afterwards, where it was likely that the sexual assault occurred. Her false nails scattered around the room, which indicated that she did fight back. So, I mean, she was hiding hard. Which is good, because if you have nails, any of you women out there, if you are being attacked, scratch the goddamn shit out of the person right get their dna underneath of your nails like just seriously scratch i would not have much luck in that area because i don't have any nails for those of you who do but you can bite and get some other tissue inside of your mouth if you're able to yeah easiest thing is scratching if you have nails because most people don't think about that uh uh gouges your eyes out Get their DNA on you. Yes. Get a, any way you can. I mean, even if you have nubbins like I do for nails, you can still get DNA. Yeah. So, despite the huge amount of forensic material to see, unfortunately, nothing immediately pointed towards the sus- suspect. All the fingerprints and blood belong to Anna. A scientist from forensic science Ireland. And how was it like a CSI, So, the FCI. Boy, fr- it's just called the Forensic Science Island. Made a grim breakthrough when they examined Anna's top and discovered semen stain. But that's also a good thing. Yeah, because then at least it's not for me Right? So, the focus of the investigation immediately returns to the two boys, obviously. Um, but before bringing them in for further questioning, They wanted to wait for this forensic proof that at least one of them was at the scene. Because when it comes to these types of cases, you want to make sure you have something before you even arrest them, bring them in, etc. Because you can only hold them so long, right? And if it's wrong, then they have to let them go. go, And then there might be a flight, who knows, where they wanted to be foreshadowing something. And that came back, though, a few days later when Forensic Science Ireland reported that Anna's blood was actually found on Boy A's boot. Which had been taken by the guardie because they had been investigating the allegation that he had been assaulted by the two men in the park. Oh. So him making up that story prompted them to take the boots because they thought they were going to be investigating that crime. Well, he just fucked himself again. Not only did he make up a story, he gave him his boots. All right. Um, a week after Anna's body was found, Gardee were granted a warrant to rest. So it was like Anna's blood was on a boy, A's boots. boy, A's boots. So that put him there. And then I'm guessing the semen was B. We will get. Okay. Sorry. No, I like to step ahead. That's okay. So from the very beginning of the investigation. Exceptions were kind of made for their age, as far as questioning went. Some were required by law, others were at the discretion of the Garda, lawyers, and other judges. So this is where we're going to kind of get into the differences in how things are done in Ireland as compared to uh, here right in, in the States. United States. We're we're just going to use our own country for me. Um. Both the boys' parents were informed on the evening of May 23rd that their sons would be arrested the following day. So they gave them a day. So there's already, like, one difference. The parents were asked to bring them to the guard station in the morning. So instead of going to arrest them at their house, they were asked to bring them in. However, the parents were not told that their homeless would be searched immediately after the arrest. Now, I think here in the United States you have to tell them Home. I think you have the, a a search warrant. And they have a search warrant, but I don't know if here you can just search somebody's house without them knowing at all. Whether you have a warrant. Oh, so they brought their kids, and while yeah. they were gone, oh, I, while they were gone. They went and searched their houses, but the parents didn't know that part. Ah, so I think that's right. I think That's a good thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. These are. Just a few of the first things were done differently. Um, Inspector O'Neill told his team, so the ones that were doing the searching, to carry out the searching as discreetly as possible. So the guardie used rental cars instead of patrol cars to actually get to the houses. They wore plain clothes and put their evidence bags in black sacks before they were taken out of the house. Totally different than here in the United States. Here in the United States, you have old blown. Call police cars with their sirens and lights up and down the street. They'd have crime scene tape. You'd have uniform people, evidence bags being brought out, but they it's kept things quiet. quiet. And I think that a lot of it had to do with their age. A lot of it had to do with discretion of what they decided. Right. And probably like if everybody knows that's what's happening, you get outsiders coming in, mm-hmm. putting their opinions and voices and mm-hmm. Like you're right. And some parents like What a shock, one, to find out that your child did something like this. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you explain that to other people when you can't even explain it yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, their parents are luckily not luckily with them at the station. So now we're going to get into this. Boy B was in an interview room at Inglis. I probably butchered that, too. Garda. So, so a, a different one station okay, and then the first time. And this one is in the north of Dublin, which was and this interview room was described as a small stuffy room that maybe three people couldn't use, but not comfortably for long periods of time. However, by two thirty PM on May twenty fifth, so this is like a day after he was brought in, there were actually five people in the room and all were feeling a little sterile. <laughs> Among them was 13-year-old boy B, who had at the time been answering questions for nearly 10 hours over oh, the past oh, oh, however, that is 10 hours over two days. While here in the United States, it's 12 hours. Right. There would be no break. No, not even for 13-year-olds. No. Uh, the boy's solicitor, which I is basically like his advocate lawyer, works with the lawyer person who had remained silent for most of the process, began to clash with the interviewing guardie, Um more frequently over the questioning that was happening. However, for the quite aqua- detectives in the room, Dahl Daly and Damien Gannon, the stress came from the knowledge that they only had a few more hours to get the boy to reveal any possible information he may have on Anna's murder. There's a time limit. Yeah, because you can only hold somebody for so long. I mean, and like I said, totally different than here, But I think yes. here, um, because, I mean, they were already arrested. not sure your, if you're charged. So here's the thing. America, we do loopholes, and we will keep you there, you know, and there's, it seems like an I, oh, do you a fact that somebody is guilty or something, yeah, they will definitely work that. Right, they'll do anything, but in Ireland, it seems like they uphold their law, they do it by the books, they're not gonna like I do, but you also have to keep in mind that these are 13 year old boys, and so it's different than if it was an adult, right? And it, I don't know what the law is for you, right? And it seems like they might have understood, like, and I don't know how it is with all the severity of it, like, if you have one false move or you accused wrong, like, and we'll get in. Oh, okay. Because I'm going to kind of go through that system. Okay. And just because the whole process of how they go about doing it, to me, was also interesting, just because it's different than here. Yeah. You know, and it was just a different perspective. It had different countries. So, the investigators, while having a mountain of forensic evidence, it, it was not against Boydee. The question right now, it was against boy A, All right? But by this time, they knew boy B was present and Anna died, and they knew he had played a role in bringing her to the abandoned house where she was killed. So somehow they had that in ready. They were trying to get him to say something, All right? Like, here's this. Mm-hmm. They just needed him, but they, they can't, like, kind of flat out say that type of a thing. Well, they're trying to kind of coax it out of them. Right. Uh, boy B had started the interview process the day before by repeating what he had first told them the previous week, that Boy A had asked him to get Anna in... Um, This is where she actually lived, which was Slip, which was just outside Dublin in County Kilbar, and bring her to the park so they could... And that he left Anna with Boy A before going home to do his homework. As part of the investigation, however... The police had examined more than 700 hours of CCTV footage, so closed circuit television, from the area around where Anna disappeared. So, from cameras watching. Mm-hmm. Her, okay. Daley and Gannon put it to Boyd repeatedly that the route he claimed they took that day in no way matched what was captured by the cameras uh. in and around St. Catherine's Park. Keep in mind, there are cameras in other countries; they're everywhere, which is not always a bad thing in line the situation right all the cameras here in the United States conveniently don't work no, but right I don't know how many cases that are like that so anyway Boyd repeatedly said that the route he claimed he took that day in no way matched what was captured in the cameras so I mean he's just like he stuck to his story offering different explanations as to why it was different right so it's like uh sounding a little bit un- all right we're watching you live mm-hmm. the first change to his story came the next morning which was the start of the interview the boy had spent the night in an office you know that first that first night on the second floor of the station because they have something called the children act which forbids child childless suspects from being detained in actual police cells mm-hmm. So they couldn't house them with adults. Right. We have something like that here, except for right? Our, we, we, we have two we we Yeah, we've we been the office. This. Have to They're the youngest ever been. Right. right. Like anything with like this. Um so they had cleared out an office for boy E or yeah, boy B and brought in bedding so he and his mother could sleep there overnight. So that next morning then, quote, boy B, this is boy B, quote, I'm going to retell the story of what actually happened. What I told you yesterday was a lot. Woon. He went on to say he and Anna had met boy A by the BMX track in the park, not by Courtyard Lane as he had previously claimed. However, his admission of dishonesty did, well, advance the case. He claimed he had lied because he initially got confused about his movements in the park and felt he couldn't change his story without arousing suspicion. Uh, now, I'm sorry, but when you're 13 and you've got police pushing you, so are going to tell the truth usually unless you've got something to hide? Uh-huh. Up until this point, Boy B. had remained surprisingly calm. He's described as a highly intelligent child who spoke calmly, clearly, in full sentences, When the guardie asked if he knew what words like detention or murder meant, he gave accurate answers at one point. Gannon asked if he knew what the word arrest meant. And he said, quote, that you are detaining me for something that I did or might have done. So he's a kid. Yeah, Um, He appeared to have a large vocabulary for his age. And he described, for example, he described Anna as wearing synthetic leather trousers. Pretty observant and precise, right? And he put his answers into context when they might otherwise have been confusing. That another thirteen-year-old had been. He sounded more like a young adult in a job interview, right? Thirteen-year-old being questioned about murder. So they couldn't. He couldn't blame that he wasn't of sound mind or his he. Had a learning disability. Like, he was conscious. He knew exactly right from and I mean, yeah, if, I mean, what would happen in intellectuals. If... So at first, he appeared to be kind of a match for the detectives because they had a pretty gentle approach that they were taking at that point. for his own good. But because he admitted to lying once, Daly and Gannon could cast doubt over everything else he had told, they gave him profitable cause. Kind of. Yeah, it's like a little more hard on the question. So here's a little bit more in depth. Okay. Now, now I'm going to, this is kind of off on a side just because I find it. because it's about, um, how investigations involving children actually occur in Ireland. So we're going to go into how they do that. Um, the Garda Sh- Shia Khanna, sorry, Gard- Garda Shia Interview model introduced a standardized approach to interviews across the Garda. For kids, all operational members are now trained in eliciting information from victims, witnesses, and suspects while being careful not to lead them into simply telling them what they want. So they are making very conscious decisions to train their officers and detectives that do these interviews to not ask leading questions. And not to lead that person into telling that detective what that detective wants to hear, Right. Because here in the United States, again, there's a lot of false confessions that have been coerced out of somebody. Yeah. By just word clay, word salad, just being tired, just wanting whatever to be over, et cetera. Uh-huh. So anyway, they are trained not to do that. And... Detective Daly had qualified as a level three interviewer, which is the second highest, I guess, in the four tier training hierarchy type of rule. Level Three interviewers usually focus on s- crimes such as murder and rape. They're trained to prepare extensively for each interview. If a suspect has an excuse for their actions, it is vital the interviewer immediately be able to cite any evidence that might disprove it following mm-hmm. a strict formula so. Which is good because there's no doubt. Exactly. So the first step is to build, build kind of a rapport with the person that they're interviewing. So Daily spent large parts of the first interview asking Boyd B just about his interests and hobbies and everyday life, running his interact. Kind of raw, kind of just like putting in the deeds, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked what video games he liked, which was apparently Halo and Outlast. Um, about his favorite Marvel character, Deadpool. It's hilarious scared. And I'm quite sure if they're, it's an appropriate character for a 13-year-old, but funny. Right. <laughs> He's profiling his personality. There was laughter, as Daly told Boy B he'd have to spell the name of his favorite YouTube star, PewDiePie, but, or him. Um, He asked if they, Boy B had any outdoor interests. The boy said he sometimes used the pull bars. So we asked him, can you do one? Yeah. So just back and forth like that. Mm. Um, there was also no problem with the boy taking breaks anytime he needed it. And there were several, several trips made to vending machines or to the local kind of convenience shop. You get chewing gum or Ribena, which is apparently a brand of black currant based soft drink. Over there. I had to look that up. So it's Ribena. <laughs> so, I mean, like, here in, the, again, here in the United States, we like, don't give him food. We might nope. give him a cup of water? I, we only get, they the, don't give him stress. You know, like, if you don't know what he's like, not under distress, and when he's comfortable, how are you going to tell the difference between him lying? And that's exactly what, okay. I mean, this is probably the right way. Especially huh? huh? with kids. Yeah. But, aside from boredom, and sometimes frustration, Boy B had, like I said, so far displayed little emotion or distress. He wasn't scared. (laughs) That that changed as Daly and Gannon started to show him evidence from the abandoned house. When Daly showed him a photograph of the crime scene with Anna's body pixelated out, like, again, here in the United States, we were just showing the full picture. right? Right. Boy B held his head in his hands and responded, quote, Jesus, one of my closest friends. He quickly added he was referring to Boy 8, not Anna. Then, quote, wait a minute, holy shit, oh my god. He said, when shown a photograph of the insulation tape that had been around her neck, he told them that he had recently given the tape to Boy 8. So, right now, he's kind of, they're showing him this evidence, and he's be like, I take that to him. Like, shah. hmm In this case, the boy's age meant that Daly, though, was highly constrained and had to be really careful, not to use any tactics that might count. In court, might be later bullied or, as oppressive or in- especially with a kid. Uh, frustration was starting, though, to creep into Daly's voice. His tone suggested he was getting tired of the boys. But he never lost his temper at all. Instead, he continued to urge the boy to come clean. Quote, you owe it to everyone to start telling the truth here. You owe it to your ma'am, the mom, to yourself to tell the truth. Because unfortunately, a girl has been brutally murdered. Mm. The most important breakthrough came on late afternoon of May 25th, about halfway through interview number five that they had. So, I mean, they're all broken up. So Boy B took a deep breath before telling them that Boy A went into the house with Anna. Quote, I left and that's when I heard the scream and then I ran, he said. It was a really strong scream. I knew it was Anna, but since Boy A was there, she'd be fine. He'd protect her. The scream was, like, really loud. Just before it ended, it got muffled, like someone covered her mouth. So, that's as, as he wants. So right now, he is trying to swing a story that he left Anna with boy A, they went to the house, he heard a scream, but that boy A would correct. Right, so it was like she was just being a girl and was freaked out by something uh-huh. and screamed. Uh-huh. So, as part of this investigation, they had also taken the boys phone. So we're going to keep that in mind so that pocket. So now we're going to go on to Boy A. Boy A was interviewed at Clondocken. Clondocken. I am so sorry if anyone's from Ireland and I am butchering these names. I'm trying. I even have it like written out phonetically next to it. <laughs> <laughs> and this was located in West Dublin. And, um, sorry. <laughs> They started by asking him if he knew the difference between right and wrong. Um, he said, leaving the door open for somebody is right. Tripping somebody up or stealing a chocolate bar is wrong. Boy A told a detective, Marcus Rowntree Ront- and Thomas Doyle. So these are two are He explained the difference between truth and lies by saying, truth is if you tell somebody what happened. A lie is if you don't tell somebody what happened. The basic: he is not smart Okay. <laughs> ask about his interest, Boyer said, quote, "He liked anatomy, the human body, and inner life like the skeleton." Oh. said he liked anatomical drawing. The detective detectives asked if he'd like drawing live people. No, more evolutionary, he responded. So That's what he said. During interview two, Boy A gave the police much the same story that they had heard from Boy B, that he had met Anna in the park, but was not with her in the lead up time to when she was reporting the scene. When he was shown the CCTV footage, he said at one point that two people caught that the two people caught on camera could have been the ones who beat him up. Oh wow. That might be good news, he said. Is there any more footage? I'm thinking he's too smart for the okay. Yeah, those figures were actually Boy B and Anna. Hmm. So I I don't know the quality of these videos so much, but I'm pretty sure that you could tell the difference between two men and boy and a girl, right? Grown and children. Yep. Detective Garda Doyle. Then told the boy that Anna's blood was found on his boots. Are you joking me? Boy asked. You can't be serious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. When question Arizona Doyle said, what I'm saying to you is the only place you could have got the blood on your boots was in that room. So were you in that room? No, Boy replied. The detectives then showed Boy A a photograph of the tape around Anna's. Boy A said he had never had any tape. Now remember, Boy B said he would given Boy A that tape. Yeah. So, got all sorts of conflicting stuff right now. Um, and despite being presented with this evidence, Boy A did not admit any involvement. Most of his responses were of the no comment or I don't know type. Uh. Yeah, not quite as talkative, but also not smart the f- detectives were disappointed obviously the forensics were strong but without admissions boy a might be able to claim that he acted himself the best or that he never meant because all- they found blood they don't know how it got there necessarily they don't have strong evidence as valid so they're trying to get them they're trying to prove that This was, this kid did this in a violent way. And that's what what he wanted to. Um, Interviews with boy B, after he eventually kind of started telling him different things, uh, the boy gradually, admitted more and more, cruises started to come out a little bit more. This culminated in boy B telling his detectives that Anna had gone into room one with boy A. Despite being told to leave by Boy A, Boy E decided to explore the rest of the house. So now, this time, he's inside the house. Then, the sound of shuffling made him run into room one, where he saw Boy A kind of flip, this is quote, quote, kind of flip Anna. He described a judo-type move to the detectives. So, okay. Uh, boy A started to choke her and pull off her clothes, he said. Anna was crying and saying, no, no, don't. He said at this point, both Boy A and Anna turned to look at him in the doorway, which made him run away. Boy A had a blank look on his face, he said. This still was not okay. Oh girl. We're getting closer. But it was as close as the detectives could get in the limited amount of time that they could pain him. Still, a little closer. So we went from him meeting Boy A at the park with Anna and then going home right away. And then it changed to going to outside the house and seeing Anna and Boy A going to the house and hearing us, And then that turned into him actually being in the house and seeing Boy A starting to assault Anna. And then he ran away. So that's where we're at right now with boy b so okay so the detectives wondered if uh boy b's account could be used to get boy a key because that happens they do that i mean we do that here too sure <laughs> you know but here we just flat out why about what said yeah this they have the actual proof yeah um because perhaps Boy A would realize all the blame was being put on him and wants to defend himself. A few of the most relevant uh, stuff from Boy B's fifth interview were copied and printed and then sent across town to where Boy A was being uh, interviewed. So they don't even have them in the same personality. Nope. They don't. So in their sixth and final interview... The detectives read the pages to Boy A before asking if there was anything he wanted to add. Quote, Boy B is lying. That is all, the boy replied. Huh. On Thursday, on the, on the afternoon of Thursday, May 25th, the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions called Inspector O'Neill and gave permission for Boy A to be charged with murder, though. Oh, he is charged with murder at this point. So there was enough of everything. Yeah, I saw blood and... Whose just... semen was it? We're... Okay. <laughs> um, the charge was put to him at about 4.01pm at Kwan Garden Garda Station just before the 24 hour uh, limit for questioning expired. So I think um, even though they were there maybe multiple days, they could only enter 24 hours okay that's why i was broken up into like six different i gotcha because it breaks and all that fun stuff so an hour later he was brought in a van of a police van in the company of his parents to the children court it's just called the children court in Smithfield in dublin his first court appearance of many like yeah a lot of these things, like I get confused because Ireland, Dublin, all these county, like they're all within the same place. Oh, because you guys have to still keep in mind that Ireland is not very big, right? You know, it's four hours across the whole entire country, right? So short drives. I mean, it's more than four hours across our states. Right? So, like Dublin and this name and that; those are like the states. Oh, kind so. of like yeah, I the states. Yeah, I see that. Ask Dennis about that. Or towns inside of states. They're kind of towns inside of states, inside of country or counties. I mean, it's just it's like confusing this year. So, like Dublin's the state, say, and all these other little things are the towns inside of the townships, counties. I mean, like here in the United States, you've got state, county, city, township, right. whatever all those things that we got on the whole tangent about. No, I'm about what the difference is between a town and a township and an unincorporated village. So Lake Dublin would be Nebraska. We've. And all these other little names would be like Overton, Central City. I Don't, I don't, I don't quote me on that because it could be one of those things where it's like New York City has like the different boroughs, but they're all within New York City. So you've got yeah. like Harlem and Queens, but they're all New York, New York City. City the but it's different areas. Yeah hold me on that you guys have to remember i wrote these notes for ago or anything. but dublin would be the state inside of ireland okay okay I feel like i think i don't know right. um so the police normally announce arrests and murder investigations shortly after they've heard particularly <laughs> in high profile cases which this was. was but here they did make that exception the rest of the boys was not even made public until just before boy A was due at court. So the whole time they were interviewed, detained, whatever, like nothing. Okay. Um, they said that they were concerned about vigilante behavior against the boy's family. Uh, local guard would later uh, mount extra patrols to basically ensure the family's safe. So that's also different. Right. right. Because here in the United States too, you have somebody that's being interviewed or arrested for murder. Nobody cares about the family and that they're not something like last well, or I even mean, though we should. Right. Because the families often don't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. And then they are, are persecuted, persecuted. Yeah. or you know, vigilante against yeah. them when they're just like it's my third cousin twice removed, like death. To leave me alone. <laughs> and personally, I feel like that wouldn't have even happened because this entire fucking town knew what was happening to that child. I don't care. My opinion, mm. my opinion is mm. a lot of people knew. They probably were aware. But they're very good. So, see, we're over here. Time out, quick. Because we're about to hit an hour, slide. so we're like at a potty break. Yes, I normally mean, I'd have a cigarette, but I'm not a uh, all-the-time smoker, so it was kind of exciting. <laughs> We're just going to take a quick little tea break. I do have to right, I got to take a drink, not an alcoholic drink. Wet my whistle. All right. Whistle wetter. I have... can't whistle. Read <laughs> either. All righty. After that little break there. We are, we just, I don't know, really, why am I doing a recap? Like, I'm a week, right? I know where we're at right now. Boy a was arrested. <laughs> but boy, B was not, not yet, not at this point. Um, so the children court over in Ireland is effectively like a district court year. So it's like the lowest tier of like criminal justice system. So Boye's case was never really gonna be there for very long in that particular court, uh, because legislation requires that children court judges transfer murder and rape cases to the central criminal court, where children accused of such crimes are effectively tried as adults. Um, the full jury hears the case, and the judge has a much wider array of uh sentencing powers, basically, than it would. In a district court. So basically the same as here. In children's court, boy A appeared in the courtroom with his parents. And also in the courtroom were two solicitors. So basically the two advocates that helped the bigger lawyers on the case. So they would be like, um so their parents couldn't be there, but they needed an adult. Yeah, kind of like, I want it to allow them. Uh, no, it's like, you know how you have like a main lawyer and then you've got like a, a lawyer kind of working on big cases like that, being that to damn like somebody who does a lot of the questioning and then passes off the information to the main defense attorney type. Right. Like they do the bitch work. Yeah. Okay. The hard work, the heavy lifting and they get paid less. Yeah. Um, kind of like doctors and their PAs or whatever practicing or something. Yeah. So, um, so he's got his two uh, advocates. Basically, there are two detectives, three journalists, and Judge John O'Connor. Um, Judge O'Connor asked Boy A if it was his first time in court, which he answered yes. Um, at this early stage, the priority for the boy's family was getting bail set in jail <laughs> and put yourself in the shoes. The of a parent. First of all, they're like probably going, What, what the, the hell is happening right now? And then we don't want our kid to be sitting in jail. So that was their their first type of thing to get kind of figured out. Um Oberts Oberst oh my gosh. Ober Oberstown Oberland Ob- Ob- Oberstown Island and I was Right now, seriously, Oberstown Children Detention Campus in Lus, in North Dublin, oh. is the only facility in the state state for holding underage detainees. It's not really a uh, closet, obviously. Especially for a sheltered 13-year-old with no criminal record. now <laughs> bullshit. So, um, as a district court judge, O'Connor had no power to grant bail, though, in murder cases, Just district court. The boy would have to apply to the high court at a later date. The judge remanded boy A to Overtown, allowing him a few moments with his parents before whisking him away. The boy looked confused as he was ushered out of the courtroom and walked with a pronounced limp. Remember, because an attack by right? two men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the evidence against boy A during the search of his house found a backpack in his bedroom containing gloves, knee pads, chin guards, a scarf-like snood. Not exactly sure of stuff. Is, but I, I, it's Ireland Right. Um, a homemade mask. And this would soon become known um as a murder kit. Did it have blood on it and stuff? I he okay. okay. Yes. Sorry, it was in the next sentence. <laughs> Anna's blood was found on the inside and outside of the mask, as well as on the knee pads, gloves, and so he knew what the fuck he was gonna do. That that kid was premeditated. He was trying to okay. Oh, when the analysis of the semen <sharp> Now I am having just issues. I just, that kid knew what General. the kid was going to do. So the analysis of the semen on Anna's top showed it and that's point eight. He a... Agarda got permission to charge him with aggravated sexual assaults. Also the aggravated part referred to the extreme violence. The new evidence also allowed them to rearrest Boy B for further work. What was the new evidence? Uh, just the blood found on the backpack and everything that was found in his room. That was Anna's. And I mean, Boy A or Boy B has already claimed to have been in the house and seen Boy A starting to attack Anna. So this gave them ample evidence to rearrest Boy B. Right. So I wonder if, like... They took him in two different places. There's two different things. I mean stations. Stations and two different investigators. So I wonder, they probably like did it as two separate like cases, you know, because they retried him. What they found here, they probably weren't allowed to. Well, yeah, because it's very rare that you would try two people. Even even if they, if someone or two people were to commit a murder together, they're still going to have two Right, but there was no communication at all, probably until, well, I mean, I'm sure that the stations were working together. Yes, That's, it's just you had to wait until. Different... Yeah, okay. I mean, you we all know that like DNA evidence takes time. Mm-hmm. Gathering evidence takes time. It's not like CSI where it's solved in an hour, right? And you couldn't charge them together because... No. You had to charge them separately for separate things because if one gets off, then the other one gets off. mm mm-hmm. And okay. if you try to charge them both with, you know, let's say you try to charge them both with murder, well, you have to have evidence that one, but the only evidence of Anna's the blood was found on Boy A's items, nothing mm-hmm. from Boy B. So, but it still gave them an ample enough evidence to re-arrest Boy B. Okay. On um, Boy B, so he was arrested again on July eighth. So this has been a little while. What was it? May twenty Fifth So we're into July. July eighth. And brought to Lucan Garda station, where he was interviewed another three times by Daly and Cannon. This time this time Boy B said his co accused so boy A wore the mask. So now story changing it which he described as a zombie mask. Um, He described it as a really cool mask that Boy A had made the previous Halloween, but he continued to deny any involvement in the attack. He also told the police of a conversation he had with Boy A a month before Anna's murder. He described the conversation as going like this. Boy A, quote, Hey, want to kill somebody? Boy D, quote, No. Boy A. Ah, here, why not? Boy B. Because it's retarded. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Boy A. Oh, come on, Boy B. Who are you planning on killing? Boy A. Anna Kriegel. Boy B. In your dreams. Apparently, that was a conversation Um, they had a month before. Oh, so... Orby said he presumed that his friend was in that scene and that he always said things like that. He repeated that he had no idea what his plan, his friend was planning on May 14th. And, and part of me might believe some of that if it weren't facts. That, yeah, it, he lies a lot. Because how many times have you been talking to your friends and been like, I ah, killed this dude because of whatever? <laughs> you know? And uh, maybe Boye did talk like that. Right. So my um and right, however, if boy asked you to go get Anna Kriegel who he said he wanted to kill, probably shouldn't do it. Right. And a good example of that is so like my ex um would talk about okay, so we had a friend who ended up becoming somebody who beat the crap out of his wife all the time, right? You know, and he said when we were younger we'd always talk about like slapping a hoe or if that shit got stepped up, but we were all joking. But this guy, he took it literal, right? So you're with all your group of friends, and like you talk like this, but there's always yeah. one that acts that might actually act, right? And you never know. And he probably didn't realize, like, oh shit, like he's serious until mm-hmm. the last minute. Yeah, yeah, and that's where that's where that unwilling type of a companion might come in, right? right. For this level, which is why I cut kind of, there. Um, and then just in general, I mean, we all say stuff like that. And shit, I always stop and I'm like, oh gosh, what if they wind up actually getting killed? And I just said that. Oh, well, I, I reverse. I bring it back. I've had friends be like, will you delete that off of my thing? Like, like when yeah. I was so mad at my ex, you don't, know, can you just not even talk about that? Well, that's the thing. It's one of those like, you say it because you're upset. But then if something were to happen, oh shit, all of a sudden you're arrested. Yeah. 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 Um, so, after he said that he didn't know what boy A was planning, uh, Daly asked him, why didn't you do anything while you were in the room there? Because I was scared. I was shocked. I didn't know what to do. Because my brain was frozen, frozen in place, I didn't know what to do. That could also be true. I mean, you see something like that at 13 years old by your friend, To another classmate, I mean, I'm not sure what I would have done, right? If he's doing that, what if he comes after Um, He lied to the police the day after Anna went missing because he was just trying to forget about it and pretend nothing happened, which I think is a fairly uh, normal thing for to do to cope, right? Because how do you process that, right, at that point? Uh, The boy replied she was scared of being framed by boy A. He said he was ashamed of not helping Anna that day. But you could have saved her, the detective said. I know. Why didn't you try to save her? I don't know. I didn't know he would murder her, Boyby said. I kept thinking to myself, this isn't real. This isn't happening. I kept thinking Boy A wouldn't do this. It's not like him. The detective suspected that Boy B still wasn't telling the whole truth, but they had to either charge him or release him. Four days later. Later then, again, he was rearrested and charged with Anne's murder. Um, he made no reply to that charge. In the children's court that day, he addressed the hearing twice, once to confirm he had never been in court before and once to ask if he could go to the bathroom. So he would also have to apply to the high court for bail. Here's the thing, like, there was no remark. Like, if a kid was really shocked... Mm-hmm. and felt some kind of way like they're ner- and was nervous and scared like at 13 you would come clean to your pit like you wouldn't be able to like how could you live only for me personally my opinion mm-hmm. only a sociopath or somebody that is not right in their head and was okay with this situation wouldn't be able to be fine with that i guess you also have to stop and think that i mean this all did happen fairly in a short time period like Two days before they found her. So, and he was questioned almost immediately because he was the one that went to Anna's house. Right. So he really didn't even have time to come to anybody if he wanted to. Because he had already started lying. Right. And then he was afraid that if he started telling the truth at that point, that it would look. Right. I as a 13-year-old, Debrae is not fully born. No. At all. But he held it together, though. Like in his things, yeah. he was very yeah. And I think, I think in my notes, as I go down farther, the psychologist kind of come into play. and Start talking about us, right? Because he knew right from wrong. He knew, yeah. and yeah. he knew they wouldn't frame him. With the knowledge that he knew, but he might not know how forensic stuff works. There, some could play, play. that. Yeah, some could play that, and but I feel like. Yeah, I you know, it's one of those things. Uh, but the proceedings in this case really did move quick, really quickly. Um, because it was almost unheard of, uh, especially for a murder trial with a long list of witnesses, a lot of CCTV. It's like, mind you, remember, there's 700 they went through. Um, there was then the analysis of stuff. This took days rather than weeks because there was prioritized. Um, restrictions on overtime for people were eased. So Science Ireland staff came in on evenings and on weekends to work on the game. So like the stuff like, I mean, this is happening really quickly. So part of the reason for the speed of this is at first it looked as if the accused might not be granted bail before the trial. The authorities did not want to keep such young children, who, like everybody else, enjoyed the presumption of innocence. Remember. Um, locked up longer than necessary. And we do have to remember that you are innocent. Until proven guilty. Until proven guilty. Unlike here in the United States where basically you're guilty until you're innocent. even though it was. <laughs> <That's> right. Because you <laughs> Boy A would spend more than two months in custody before being granted bail on August 2nd. Boy B spent just over a month in custody before being granted bail on August 21st. Um, The legal age of criminal responsibility in Ireland is actually 12. Okay. But this drops down to the age of 10 when rape or murder is led. However, at age 13, boys A and B became the youngest ever in the history of ireland to be charged so they had these in place like these ages in place and they never had to worry about using it right so there's that um and the judge and barristers i looked that up at one time would neither would wear neither wigs nor robe apparently they still wear their wig oh wow that's kind of cool yeah i was like what Wigs? but well, why not for this because they're kids they didn't want to be and they... oh my fucking god i it, this is i like i said this is how i saw this but i would just call up on the wings or i'm like wait a minute i mean the reason they used to wear wings way back in like colonial days in america is they'd shave their heads because of the lice oh shit i didn't that's why they wore those wings <laughs> But apparently, in other countries, this is the normal thing for them to have wigs. Oh, and in, like, court and stuff. I was like, oh, wait, what? I guess I'd be a little intimidated. Would be intimidated? And wanting to laugh at the same time? I'm not sure how I would react to walking into but- a courtroom. It's I long While we're done with this, I'm totally looking up some shit. I'm going to... <laughs> so, they didn't wear wigs or robes. And um, the AQs would be allowed to sit beside their parents, in the gallery as opposed to, like, where they would normally sit next to the lawyers. Okay, okay. The boys and their families would also be allowed to enter and exit the criminal courts of justice um, through side entrances, and separate rooms would be provided for each of them when so they could unwind and consult with lawyers during court downtime. Very relaxed situation. Well, it's very different than yeah, I mean, because I, uh, I always keep comparing this back to the case of, um. I don't remember her last name since I think she was a teacher who was murdered by her 14 year old raped so, and murder in a school, in the school building. And that, I mean, they did not give him any of those woof, luxuries. You so, know, there was this case where this kid got, um, At eight years old, right, in our state, they convicted him of shooting his pregnant stepmother, right, Mm -hmm. in the head. And, like, his lawyer and his dad fought nail and tooth, and they finally, when the kid was, like, 21, realized that he was innocent of all charges, just like he had said. But at eight years old, they got him from the house, put him in a regular jail, and there was no kind of anything. You'll have to look up the care in the world did they even, like... So who shot her? Because shot her? Um, if he was not innocent, does that mean that he didn't shoot her or no, that he, it was just, like, an accidental? No, there was a silver truck that was outside of the house. And the son even remembered, because they lived not, like, in the country, but there wasn't a whole lot of houses. And they had a but routine. It was very... You know, but they knew the son was like there was a silver truck and they never presented anything. And I think it was like an ex boyfriend or her previous marriage. It was soft, like a window. Um no the it, it was a muffle, like it, yeah. it was like they tried to conceal the sound yeah. and stuff so like that. Silence. Yeah. Did they just leave the gun with the boy? No, they didn't have any cut. This is the thing okay. that wasn't crazy. Yeah, we'll I'll have look to look it up. Yeah. yeah. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah. That's the unit. Yeah. Okay. Me. So, anywho, on to this. Let, Let me open my brain back on this. Um, so, guilty pleas are extremely rare in murder trials over in Ireland because it carries an automatic license. Right. Basically. They do it one time and that's it. Yeah, and no matter what approach the accused takes, whether it's insanity, um, there's no sentencing like discount, quote unquote, for a guilty plea. Like sometimes here in the United States, right, you can plead guilty for like a, a shorter sentence. For that over there for murder trials, there's not. Oh, they don't do a plea bargain. There's no murder is murder. Oh, that's it. If you plead guilty to it, that's it. And, uh, you get life sentence automatic. Oh, okay. in the story. So even if the evidence, um sorry they go back Oh, as there is no sentencing discount a uh, defendant's reason that they have little to lose by taking the chances on the trial then right because for far less you get what you get yeah don't fit even if the evidence is damning they may be acquitted on a technicality or because of an investigation deficiency and that's why they're so thorough Um, the dynamic then changes if the accused is a minor, even more. The Children Act is silent on whether the automatic life sentence applies to children convicted of murder. But the prevail, like the prevalent legal opinion is that it does not, and that judges may impose a lesser sentence if appropriate. But you have to also remember at this time, nobody this young had been charged murder. So this was like an all new kind of a thing, right? Like a state, they're like, they were making it up as they go. Not making no, it up, they, but they, they were trying to follow rules meant for, like, almost, oh, or for minors uh, accused of lesser charges, right? It's like their case set the precedent on what to do and what not to do from there on out. Okay. Um, yeah. They reasoned that the jury was bound to be prejudiced against their, uh, client by Boyd the client being Boy B, repeatedly, oh my god, sorry, hold on, reverse that again. So, for Boy A's case, uh, I don't think they wanted the jury trial because they reasoned that the jury was bound to be prejudiced against Boy A by hearing Boy B repeatedly accuse him during his interview. Right, so hearing that over and over again to prejudice there, okay. So, the interviews of one defendant cannot be used against a co-accused. Okay. Boy, A's defense team argued that the jurors could not help but be influenced by the content of the interviews, even if they were warned it was irrelevant to the case against their client, which of course makes sense. Can't unhear something like that. Yeah. it's like, even a in- or it's here. Like um you hear of somebody being like objection and then sustain. So basically the jury is supposed to forget what they just heard. Right. You can't. So they have a jury where you're not allowed to present to them some stuff. Most stuff. It, well the they interviews use. they interview well you can present the interviews but they're supposed to disregard district- yeah. them. Yeah. So basically you just have to give them Here's the evidence that we have, but you can't explain how you obtain the evidence. It's not necessarily. It's more along the lines of, "Hey, we're going to tell you this, but you're going to be warned that it's irrelevant to so the case, but only for whatever boy A said against boy B, or boy B said against boy A. And All right, and vice versa. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, it's kind of there. Um, yeah. but, however. Because uh, this was all just their, de- their defense for boy A trying to go out all right thing. However, it failed. Because like, the evidence of what he had and just like, yeah, you really didn't need any of the other stuff. Yeah. So. Um, it was quoted as saying, it would be a distortion of the factual background of the entire factual matrix of what happened in the lead up to the death of Miss Kriegel was not set out in full to the jury. The judge ruled. He said he would give jurors strong warnings about not fully relying on Boy B's interviews when considering the case against Boy A. So the judge ruled the interview can be used in court. But the jurors were warned not to take um, full stock. Right. Just kind of a lot. it It is based off of what Boy B is saying, which is like hearsay in a way. Yeah. It's just his, it's his story. Right. With no actual bounds. To bake it up. All right. Back, bake it up. Pack it up. So just go off with the evidence at hand, which yeah. would be the backpack. Yeah. The but you can also kind of take into play Boyd is. Gotcha. But not fully. You wouldn't even need to with the yeah, I know. Evidence. Exactly. Right. Um, compared with Boy A, Boy B's defense was much easier to predict, obviously. Uh there's no forensic ev- evidence that linked it to the murder scene. Um the vast majority of the evidence against him came from his own mouth, right? <laughs> if he had remained silent, he would probably never have even been charged. Because Boy A never said anything about Boy B being there. Oh wow in the house. Boy B at all of it. And all the evidence they have was from himself with his boot and his house with the bag that had every hand. And there was no forensic evidence against Boy D. So if he had taken the stance of Boy A, where he would just no comment, I don't know. He probably wouldn't have been charged. So that's the one part where he was not. Right. And that's also the one part where you can probably see. Where he was, right? He didn't know what the fuck mm-hmm. this other kid knew, and he knew to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. So, in early 2019, um the legal team then for boy B asked a doctor, Column Humphreys, who is an experienced forensics, psycho. Earth. Holy crap, shrink! My mouth is not making words properly tonight. I think you're doing fairly well. No. You're doing good. And a very psychologist specializing in childhood trauma, they asked him to examine the boy. And um, the interview tapes that were, obviously, they they record all these videos. Having done so, Humphreys diagnosed the boy with PTSD as a result of written. Opinion. So there's that. The PTSD contributed to the boy telling uh lies basically in an effort to protect himself he wrote the doctor said it was his opinion that boy b had no knowledge of what was going to happen to anna he said the boy was sexually naive and had gone to the house with anna and boy a in the hope of watching them snogging having sex snogging is like other <laughs> okay So, basically, he thought they were just going to have sex. He didn't know what it was like or didn't know anything about it. So, he was just, you know what? I guess the psychologist basically has come to um To conclude. uh, Yes. That's his his expert opinion. Right. So, um, throughout this testimony, um, bring back the pathologist, the one that did the autopsy. Um, she described the process, the injuries, uh, boys A and B were both excused from the court that day because of the graphic nature of the evidence. Oh my fucking god. Now, boy B, maybe I can understand, but boy A, you did this. I mean, he does sit there and listen to it. Like, you already know. Right. And that, that's just like, it, what? But did you think You were first- showing me the graphic nature of what he caused. Right. Wow. Okay, then. That's, I a, a bet there you are again. Something different. If um, I witnessed it. Okay. Again, another part of the court process. The judge insisted on 15 minute breaks every hour or so. These were for the boys' benefit, but were probably just appreciated in general. Okay um, the only major interruption came on the afternoon of the fifteenth day when a note was handed to the lawyer, saying boy B was having a panic. An ambulance was called the court it was adjourned in the day. I don't think that any ambulance and stuff is that was ring called for a panic attack in court. No, I me. Mean, I doubt it I don't think it would have been adjourned that day, but right. I think the you will. Um, Boy B was treated at the scene, seen by his general practitioner that evening. It occurred as the jury watched the videos of Boy B's interviews during which he admitted to lying and no reason was ever given. Now, a panic attack, for anyone who doesn't know, is much different than an anxiety attack. It's way worse. Like, I mean, you lose total. Conscious thought not, you lose touch with reality. Yeah, basically, you're in such a state of panic that you lose touch with reality. Yeah, and the fact he was kind of able to kind of recoup and no reason was given was kind of a kind of I don't know, I don't know if I believe that there was an actual heck going on or not, right? Um, another interruption happened earlier in the day when the defense complained about someone in court staring. A boy, be his family at length, and it was distressing. for him. So, there was another part. <laughs> Ireland, I don't. You need disrespect, but uh, you guys are very, very nice to people. Apparently, in court, because that's all. That is another interruption and a break when, because the defense complained that someone stared at one of the families. Right. So here, so like, how long is it? Right. I second like in 10. 10? I feel like Eiler, Ireland was very smart because they probably watch all of the shit that happens in America and how they fuck up and how they do this and that and the other yeah. thing. And they're learning, like, OK, this is what we have to do. And so they learn from our mistakes. I mean, most people do that, right? We don't even learn from our moral mistakes. Yeah, you know, like the defense complaining that somebody stared at a family. I mean, and it doesn't say how long they actually were staring. I found that. I just found that where I got stuck on that for a little bit. Um, and then from that point on, they decided that they were going to conclude court at 2 p.m. instead of 4.15 this because of all that stuff um Anna's parents this whole time clearly found the evidence uh distressing emotional but neither sought to make speeches or even cast blame while in the witness the only care what honestly um testimony their testimony was clear and calm there was a little hint of anger The same was true for all four of the accused boy's parents. All gave evidence of their interactions with the accused before and after Anna's death, but none sought to use the witness box to proclaim the boy's innocent. Not even the parents of the boys were being accused. So there's that. Um, The furthest any of them went was Boy B's father, who said his son was not capable of a crime like this. So there's that. I mean, none of them really to put innocence i mean her her parents were calm, which I don't know how at all that's really odd, yeah, um, they used a three d modeling of the house where she was found to kind of uh, show the jury where different objects were found, you know that they use evidence um and I am just losing my place all over the place here. Well, it's uh, harder because there's so many things and it's so hard yeah, to fathom that, like... But basically, all of this basically boils down to, like, a lot of this made it really difficult to discern the nature of the boy's defense for me, uh, in general, both of them, until very late in the case because um, some of the questions that were posed to parents and stuff uh, gave a little insight into anything. Well, the thing was, as I don't think there was much insight. Yep. You had a sociopath, a kid who had probably obsessions of doing stuff like this, and um, sometimes kids think about things, you know what I mean? And, and he actually put it in play, and he planned it. You know what I mean, and for me, it's just very hard. What? It, yeah, you can't wrap. You can't wrap your and as parents and like okay, so this is really happening, and they're not old enough to give a timeline. You know, like when adults do it, and you could track I can't their history mind, and line so, Oh, you mean like like of their life? Of their life, like okay, so they've committed this many crimes and they've done dot dot. And of course, this, you would add added I, up to this. Yeah. And then with children, it's like there's not this big behavior and spike in mm-hmm. this and that and the other. Either one of them doesn't sound right. Right. So it's just like this is what happened their first time ever being in, and in trouble. And this is what happened. Yeah, I went too make, far. It does make it hard to believe. But there's so much forensic evidence. Wait, A that like. How you, use them? Right. And I can see B. Like. Mm-hmm. So. um. One of the defense attorneys, uh, Boy A's... No, Boy D, sorry. Did ask the uh, one who did the autopsy. So Cassie, If someone who witnessed that attack on Anna would be traumatized, then she agreed that they would be. So that kind of also meshes with the psychologist's viewpoint of the PTSD. For Boy A, the most important evidence to exclude... For the defense team was the forensics. They argued that the testing of the client's boots on which Anna's blood was found was inadmissible. As the guard, Erdy had taken the boots under false pretenses. False pretenses that the boy gave them, mind you. Right, it <laughs> was supposed to be for another case. And then he submitted that Guardy had pretended to take the boots to investigate his claim of being assaulted by two men but we're actually taking them to investigate A's an disappearance. Which they didn't have any reason to do at that point. They literally took the boots because he said, got her by two guys. And they put the testing in for the blood to find a different person and they came up More with that. Definitely. And so they had another detective come on and say that she took the boots and Boye's phone solely because they might help her find boy A's attackers she said she didn't even know anna was uh, deceased at that stage so (laughs) right so the judge agreed that it was they were in the right to take it okay to take the boots you know then they argued that dna evidence against boy a was also inadmissible because uh, supposedly um She freely had sex with them. Nah, 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 nah. Gordon had uh, filled out the wrong form to authorize the taking of samples from the boys. So here's where they're getting into like that, whole, like hickory Called to give evidence. Gordon conceded that instead of filling out an authorization form under the 2014 DNA Act, he filled out one concerning the 1990 Act. Again, the defense application failed. They're, they are literally grasping a straws point. So anything they've tried so far to no. like throw out forensic evidence against boy A has been shot at. Good. Um, on boy B's defense team, one of the main objectives was that the jury hearing the evidence that Dr. Humphreys, the psychologist, gave, which, um, I uh, determined la, la la la. So they wanted them to say that, oh, sorry, yeah, I don't know. they 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 objected against it, taking to what she had to say into consideration. No, they objected like Boydie's defense team actually objected to the jury hearing the evidence. Of Dr. Humphreys, the psychologist who had diagnosed him with PTSD. His own defense didn't ask them to hear it. Yes. And they excluded that doctor's evidence in the end. I don't know why. That doesn't make any sense to me, but that's that's what they did. His own defense. I think that they were trying to do that. And they were trying to prove he wasn't there immediately. Oh. And, and I I honestly don't know what they were thinking at that point. So they screwed that kid. His own defense screwed him. His own mouth. Yeah, this is true. At the midpoint of the trial, in the absence of the jury, Grehan, which is one of the, the... I'm leaving out a lot of last names here because there's so many for defense attorneys. Different things. He handed the judge three photographs of a mannequin? which had been dressed by Forensic Science Ireland, it kind of was showed some different things like that, because they wanted to use that also as a visual aid to show the jury how items from the backpack were intended to be used for use for etc. They said it was nothing more than a visual aid and different things like that. And they objected on the basis that the mannequin was speculative and there was no evidence it actu it accurately portrayed. Which is weird because you take the stuff that was in the bag and you hit at something with it. Or you kneel down. What I know. They're also using the mannequin to show how stuff would have been worn. And so they're saying like you can't prove that this mannequin is an accurate accurate representation of how this stuff would have been worn had it been Boy A. Right, he didn't use the knee pads as knee pads. That type of a thing, yeah. Like, for example, there was no evidence to show Boy A had his hood up during the attack. Um, Justice McDermott looks at the barristers with the top of the spectacles. When he is skeptical of their argument, this is what he did when the prosecution tried to get the mannequin photographs admitted. Like, are you fucking kidding me right now? I don't even know. Uh, um, He just basically said, I'm not satisfied that this photo should go in. Well, that it matters, because there's enough evidence without the mannequin photograph. Right. Yeah. So even without this, you know, they had an extremely strong case against Boyer. Um, it consisted of three main elements, CCTV footage, Forensic evidence and lies that he told to the police, especially about uh being beaten up by these two unidentified assailants. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) that um the case against Boyd B also had its strengths, but less clear cut. Uh the prosecution were relying almost completely on the police questioning. To the extent that they made the unusual decision to show the jury almost the entire video, like, 24 hours of the interviews. In order to prove the murder, the prosecution needed to prove he knew the plan that day was to kill Anna. To do this, they relied heavily on Boy B's admission that Boy A had asked him a month earlier if he wanted to kill them. Right? So there was that. The entire case against Boy B would essentially boil down to one issue. Did he believe Boy A when he said this a month before, or did he think he was joking? So there was that right going on. Um, the burden was on the prosecution, basically, to prove their the guilt not the defense to prove their innocence. There had been some speculation that lawyers for one or both of the boys would ask that the jury be allowed to consider manslaughter verdict as well as murder verdict. But there was no application, like, put in for that from either party, which is weird. Like, you would think you would put in for manslaughter instead of murder, but there wasn't. So no alternative verdicts would be put before the jury... Um, basically they then focused on the lack of evidence that Boy A planned to kill Anna. He never overtly said that he was going to. Uh, he conceded, the lawyer conceded that the jury might decide Boy A was present, but is there any real evidence that he... Uh... He also alluded to the idea that Boy A and Anna engaged in consensual activity. Sexual activity. That's what he's, what he's claiming. His defense was um, claiming. Because that house was used for that type of stuff. Um, given the presence of condom lappers on the ground. Pathology evidence showed injuries to her, obviously, her general region, but it couldn't be established if these occurred through non consensual or consensual activity. Like it, what you couldn't prove one way or the other. So rape went out the window. I mean, it couldn't be. It can't be ruled out. But it can't. I don't know. Like it was like a. That he could not be. Who knows? Right. Maybe that's like it's just one of those. Um. The barrister said, "Boy A came from a decent, hardworking family." Although not as a defense, it's highly relevant. Right. Apparently, he also warned warned the jury against overinterpreting the material found on his client's phone. So apparently, there's some interest. You know, young know, people have many devices and interests, and frequently have unlimited ability to look for and find things of interest. If you took any 13 or 14 year old boy and did a complete troll, use the quote, troll through their devices, what are the chances that you find something? What are two small things that are unpleasant? Right. Referring to Boyby's claim the boy A said he wanted to kill Anna. His counsel again said that it was nothing more than a joke. Irish people tend to use extravagant language. Oh my I wasn't aware that the word kill was extravagant in language, but apparently saying that is extravagant. Oh, my god! Oh, and he also said, in any event, jurors couldn't consider it evidence against his client because it came from Boyd's interview. In hearsay. Yeah. Uh, The defense attorney for Boyd, in his closing, repeated his criticism of the nature of the interviews. He also suggested blame for Anne's death lay squarely with Boyd A. There was no way Boyd B... Would be stupid enough to call for Anna and walk her through the park full of CCTV cameras if he knew the plan was to murder her. Boy B lied to the police, um, but he did so because he was traumatized by what he saw. He was also scared of Boy A, who was bigger and stronger than him and knew martial arts. He concluded by telling the jury they must find Boy B not guilty if they believed he had no knowledge of a plan to kill Anna. After these closing statements were happening, uh, they began deliberating on the afternoon of Wednesday, June 12th. They would remain out for 14 hours and 24 minutes over the course of five days. At 2:02 2. 2 p.m. on Tuesday, June 18th, word went around the second floor that a boy A was found guilty of murder and aggravated sexual assault, and boy B was also found guilty of murder. Uh, the four women confirmed that these were long, unanimous verdicts. So both boy A and boy B were remanded in custody to Oberstown until sentenced on July fifteenth, two 2008. That's a life sentence. And I yeah, um Yeah. It was. Oh, like. And then just a little bit. I don't have a lot of background obviously on these boys because you're not allowed to. Yeah. Um, from what we know, boy A is kind of an unusual child. Uh, he had never been in trouble with the garden, did not take, did not drink or take drugs, he was tall, skillful, skilled in martial arts. Um, spent a lot of time online, though, and like horror movies, special effects, and drawings. You have to remember, he did, like, that weird anatomically, right? Um, weird. He liked his of dead things and not live things. Um, And Boy B did describe him to the police as strange, weird, and not irrational. Which I think. Yeah. As for Boy B, several witnesses gave evidence that he was unusually bright. He excelled at primary school despite a lack of focus on academics in his home. His marks started to drop a little bit at secondary school as he struggled with the increased homework. Um, He loved to make things with his hands and was regarded as being particularly skilled with technology. Like Boy A, he liked computer games, but showed little interest in social media. Twice his father had bought him a smartphone and twice he lost it. (laughs) Dr. Humphreys testified that Boy B prefers the company of younger children as he finds them less demanding. He described this as unusual, but not deviant way so like it just he was smart but like he just downplayed it yeah type of a thing um despite his father's best efforts though boy b did not like sports um he preferred pokemon and japanese cartoons his father described him as someone who was hungry for friendship and believed everything his friends said to him gullible kind of yeah um sorry my cursor keeps jumping around on here guys After his arrest, Boy A called Boy B one of his best friends, a sentiment that was mutual. Boy B told the police, then later on, they were not close friends. Uh, The court heard evidence that he didn't trust Boy A. He told one friend he feared Boy A might snake him, or set him up after the murder. Before Anna's body was found, he cast doubt on Boy A's claim that the two unidentified men had caused his injuries. So even before Anna's body was found, Boy B was casting doubt on Boy A's claim of injuries. Uh, boy B told police he believed Anna had caused Later on afterwards. The mur- murder or perhaps the investigation seems to have... In the end of any friendship between the two, obviously, I I think that would be a killer to me. Just to learn it out there, yeah. During the trial, the boys appeared to make a point of not interacting. They sat separately and left the court every day in separate groups. And that's about the end. Wow! Right now, I mean, that was only five years ago. They were they would have just turned eight. But what makes this a class? Three a level three a level three. Well, because it has to do with more. It has more to do with void B, really, than void A. All right, because um, willing companions of killers, impulsive, ridden, and some antisocial. So, I mean, can be debatable about the willing companion part, but he did willingly bring Anna to void. Right. Knowing what boy A had said previous, the previous month, um, he's kind of impulsive. And he does have some of those antisocial traits. Like he didn't interact with kids' age very much, um, gullible, gullible. Once um, ran through, can go. cause impulsiveness, lack of focus in school, that type of a thing. So I think what had happened, which really sucked, I hope this wasn't too confusing you had like I said, you know notes. I wrote you. these notes so long ago that, like, no. no, you, I think you did a beautiful job, and this was a right. And at first, I was so convinced that, like, boy B was like just as guilty as a, but the more I get to thinking about it and the the plan set out, I feel like boy A was probably like,'re good. i I bet I can convince her to have sex with me, you know. Yeah, and well, I this think one, have, like, I... That he may have had Boy be convinced that they were going to have sex. And, and he didn't want me to watch. And that I, is why he was he willingly brought Anna to Boy A, right? Because he was a boy, oh, he that, wanted to see... Yeah, you know, hormones, and she probably wasn't even thinking about the fact that Boy A said a month before that he wanted to kill Anna. Right, and here's the thing, like jerks assholes right they plan these things or they take pictures and they show their friends and this he was going to have the live just boys being jerks mm-hmm. you know what i mean did not think he was going to take it that far and once he did he realized what, what was he, happening was and capable of out. And right that he thought he was just gonna see the live of right. I don't like a wife no longer and it's almost like boy a did it on purpose so he wouldn't go down by himself he wanted an accomplice he made that known to be no matter what happens you're coming down with me kind of but at the same time like they never really i mean yes they did it was boy b's opinion that boy a would do that but boy a never specific of that right and he probably never convinced him but it's probably an obvious thing well he could be and that's and that's what boy b was thinking because like I said if he just kept his mouth shut right I not i been charged with anything, <laughs> Right. And that proved the fact that he kept on talking is somebody who wasn't pre-planning. He did no. think he didn't. He did not understand at 13 years old. What I don't understand is how come things that would have saved his life. And not going to prison for the rest of forever were purposely not continued. I wonder if they would have done that, then that would have. What do you mean? I mean, if they would have went with the, no, you can't talk to the psychologist, yeah. we don't want that admissible, and those things like that. Yeah, I don't... If that would have, like, lessened the other kids, or discredited, or what the fuck, or there's pieces we don't know. My whole thing is, like, they didn't have any forensic evidence against Wibby. other than his own statements. And those aren't even fr- forensic evidence, that's his own statements that he was there. And that's all. And and that's all. And so, yeah, I'm on the same mindset that I really don't think Boy B should have also been convicted. Unless there are things that they left out. I don't think that they would have, though. Because, they. I mean, with everything else, they're pretty thorough. And here's the other thing that I... and There's no DNA. There's no law. And usually when they do forensic this is and that with the murder weapons, you can tell that there was multiple people swinging because the way mm-hmm. something swung... it. Well, the eyeballs and stuff. Yeah. And fingerprints. There's no... Like, right? There is no suggestion that there was another culprit anywhere near. No. So how they came to that is very... It's just... Yeah. And there. I mean, a lot of that in part, you guys, was kind of paraphrased by me, um, obviously. But that's just... That's how that concluded and... I would have to look back into it again, see if it's changed. I don't know. If they- no, but it's a very strange and that's a very sad, a very, I mean, the whole case itself is sad. I mean, obviously, there's somebody who I mean, lost her life for no reason other than boy A wanted to mm-hmm. murder somebody, murder somebody. He had a kill kit, right? And he had it ready to go. Uh huh. And, and then he, he tried to, like, stupidly wired stupid. it. Right. And it probably all boiled down to something like this. He probably wanted her, and she said no because he was the stranger and he got offended. I bet if you get to the psychology on the whole thing, because somebody like that, a murderer like that, what we know and what you have taught me is they are very egotistical, very arrogant, and now they have to be offended. Something had to have. While I might be inclined to say that, if somebody does something impulsively like that, they don't normally have a kill kit with them. No. But yeah, that wasn't impulsive. He planned that out. That was like revenge. Like, he was pissed off at her for some reason. And maybe, or he just wanted to kill somebody. Right. But, the, I mean, and at the age of 13, it's hard in a younger age to find those traits in somebody. Other than some of his fascination with weird things. Right, and that's the other thing. Like you and said, he was this is the of, the of their kind. Right. He did have this mask. He did say he wanted to kill somebody. He did no martial arts. He did lie. He knew to say no comments. Right. There's a lot of cliffhangers, and I bet because there were children, it's a cut-and-dry murder. Nobody can go in and redo anything. But I feel like for some reason, he, she rejected him that was a vengeful thing because of all the blood and all the everything. Like, he was out to get her for a specific reason. I, I feel like at the same time, like in my mind, Anna wanted friends so badly, which rejects somebody who wanted to be her friend. No, but he, well, that's the other thing. He probably felt like she's rejecting me. Do you know what I mean? at the same time, boy, B said, Anna had a crush on. Him. Boy, he lied a lot about a lot. I know, but lies and then truth in there somewhere there is and I don't think we'll ever know I I don't I mean when it's just based on somebody and there's not enough like of them being out there in the world like I said to follow a pattern yeah there was no pattern and it's just an unfortunate like all around it's an unfortunate thing you did you be honest every young people who basically lost their lives in one way or another now One of them, wholeheartedly, yes, he is guilty and being that violent at that age probably means that he had a tendency for it and I'm not sure if there's much you can do to Uh, prove it, reform somebody like that. I just wanted to say that you did amazing with this case from the start to the finish, the research that you did, like, thank you for allowing me to come back Mm -hmm. on this and you Kendra, you did beautiful at explaining things and presenting it, and you fucking kicked ass. Yeah, well, I hope I hope everyone else all there thinks so because this one, you know, most of the episode that I thought it was going, yeah, that's all right. You killed it. Oh, um, yeah, this, I'm not going to do is... Oh my God. <laughs> And uh, it'll be fresh notes instead of me trying notes that I type uh, on a scalp, right? Well, I just want to say thank you, Kendra, for our first episode back in a long time, and I appreciate it. And I had fun, and I can't wait to see what else you got for us. And oh, we're gonna keep going up on these levels, which means that things are gonna start getting worse, um, more intense, you know, <laughs> better and worse. So, um, love hopefully, you guys will tune in next time, and this did not just totally throw. I don't think so. I think you did a really fucking kick ass job, dude. Right? Oh, <gasps> oh yeah, Dennis. <laughs> I got um, Dennis. Otherwise, otherwise, uh, you can find us on all the socials. There will be links in the show notes to various things, so you can find us on. Uh, basically any listening platform out there, obviously on whatever one you're on right now, if you want to leave us some reviews. That would be fantastic. Especially if you're listening on, on one Apple podcast, you can leave us a written review, which is always helpful. Or you can always just send us an email or a DM or something. That would be great too, because I would love to hear some actual listener feedback. Which otherwise I feel like I am just talking to myself and I'm not sure if anyone else is really, I mean, I could see that people are listening, but I don't know, (laughs) or enjoying what they're listening to. So yeah, um, everything will be down in the show notes. There'll be a link that'll take you to a page that literally has all the other links to things. Uh, we have a buy me a coffee where you can donate. Us if you would like to, and uh, yeah, and I can't even. My brain is so fried right now, it's 5 20 in the morning, which means it's close to my bedtime. Um, right, <laughs> but it's time for me to go home. <laughs> like, the sun's gonna go up, so it's time for me to go. Back. Um, <laughs> but anyway, all that stuff is down there, so you can find it and follow us like to send us a message. Somebody, please send us a message. I said you're a ma- I want things. <laughs> no, I, <just> <laughs> I have some friends. <laughs> um, I love you. Be hey, my friend, please. <laughs> I love you. Otherwise, uh, tune in for the next one, which will be level four. One of the gradations of evil. Which I don't even know what well, it is right now off the top of my head. Me neither. I'm excited because it not feel good. What the next one is because it just gets more evil. Uh-huh. <laughs> she la- it gets more evil. Ha 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 ha! As she laughs, like who's the evil one? Really? And this is a joke. A really funny. Here we go, Ryan. Um, so I was talking to some people last night. About how true crime enthusiasts and true crime podcasters are really the like least violent people you'll probably ever meet, because people just want to know why. Well, I was proven wrong today when I I clicked onto YouTube and uh, Eleanor Neal, who is a true crime YouTuber, who is one of my sources that I've used for this case, just released an episode about somebody who is a true crime enthusiast and killed. So there's that. Well, it was kind of interesting. They were probably only interested in true crime because, because they were out learning how to murder people. Yeah. So there goes my dog, like, remember there goes my whole, like, uh, if you're interested in true crime, you're not violent theory, but I bet, you know, I know, you know, who it is. Remember when you were doing all your like networking and stuff. And there was that one guy, I don't know if it was a guy. And He just randomly popped in there and he pissed everybody off. Oh no! It's, not. it's oh, it's a girl, female one. What if that guy was actually a girl? I'm gonna tell. Because I re- oh, Mothman or Moth. Oh, I should don't do that. Uh, but yeah, maybe he like stirred up the pot. Yeah, and- that's what I'm talking about, dude. Maybe edit his name out so there's no prejudice craziness going on. I uh, look if any of you were around at that time. Modcasters out there on Instagram, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're not going to even take offense to that cause you know, because you already know, you already know. Oh my God. That's that would write like A learning joke at that point. Like, I, it would once happen. Somebody would just type in the name of that and be like, you sound like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. I, so when I was explaining it's like they in Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> So I told a friend, I said, so Kendra's asked me to be back on the show. Like we're gonna start doing this thing again. And they're like, What is it? And I said, True crime, and they looked at me. I said, I know, right? Like Kendra wouldn't even like hurt a flight, literally wouldn't even hurt a a fly. is someone I know. Yeah. And very peaceful. We all know you add, like, I am in I'm known as a Right. And you love this. And I said, It's I'm just saying, Oh, I know. I but in my thought the like cool. I goal in life is literally to help. Keep it. As much as cult school in any way I can. And my passion is true crime. I all sleep listening to murder. Right? <laughs> if we go, and here's April, I'm going to kill every person all the time. Like, I'm going to fucking kill. And I know nothing about this shit. Shouldn't have you, Lucy Kovos, because we might learn stuff about how that. I know, right? No, I could never. No, I wouldn't need it. I don't like blood. I like my pillows and blanket. I tell, Looking bodies are heavy. They're dead. Yeah. And then they, they put you in jail and you have to sleep on things that are not. Well, see, that's why you, why you murder people <laughs> and then don't get caught. Do you listen to her? Oh my God. No, well, I'm Joe. Look, yeah. nowadays, you're going to get caught. Like yeah. DNA evidence, fingerprints, cameras everywhere, location devices on your phone, tracking device. You're going to get caught. It's not the 70s anymore, people. Right. And I mean, even though I say I want to kill da da da, I'm honestly, I just love. I just love, love, love. Okay, all right. So we're tangenting. and I, I like didn't an acronym, like I should make an acronym for a little bit, actually, it's something like happy. So when I say I want to kill somebody, it actually means like something positive. Right, except for now you just told everybody. But I haven't told them what the yet. This is true. I love you guys. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> we